Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. All right, Father, we come to you right now, and God, we thank you that we can gather together and study your word, that we can learn from you. Without you, we're nothing. I need your help. I need your guidance. Touch me to be able to effectively communicate with fluency and clarity. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear and the hearts to receive, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In our first study on the prayers of Jesus, this is the fourth and the final study, but in our first study on the prayers of Jesus, um, we talked about the model prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples how to pray, and we call that prayer the Lord's Prayer. In our second study, we looked at some of the prayers that Jesus prayed. We looked at the prayer that he prayed at his baptism. We looked at the prayer that he prayed while feeding the 5,000. We looked at the prayer that he prayed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Last week, we talked about how that uh, Jesus, on the third study, that Jesus prayed for his disciples. We talked about the prayer that he prayed at the tomb of Lazarus. And then when we went, in, we went into John chapter 17, and we studied in detail the prayer that Jesus prays for us, that he's praying for us. It's right there, John chapter 17. There are, there are 24 recorded prayers that I have found that Jesus prayed in the Gospels. And we'll talk about a, a, few, a few of those in just a little bit. But today, instead of talking about any individual prayers, what I want to do in the last study of this series is I want to talk about the themes of the prayers that Jesus would pray. And that will help us, I think, better understand. Now, some people would probably ask, and rightfully so, why would this study be necessary? Well, I think it's because prayer is an intimate exercise, and studying the prayers of Jesus gives us a good look at his heart. The things that matter to God should matter to us. The love that Jesus has for people should be exemplified through us and through our life. And, and so we should let God use us to love people like Jesus does. And then why is this study necessary? Because we can use his prayer practices as effective prayer models to learn from. We can use those practices and use those models to help us with our prayer life, and also the reason this study is important is because prayer is communication with God, and anything that we can learn about making that connection with God, we should be wide open to. So I think it's important, really what this is about, we're studying the prayers of Jesus so we can improve our prayer life. That's really what it's all about. So theme number one that I want to start talking to you about today is... Uh, the, th the number one theme that Jesus, in, in the prayers that we have, is that Jesus gave thanks. Of the 24 prayers, recorded prayers that we have in the Gospels, 12 of those prayers were prayers of thanksgiving. So Jesus was really big on giving thanks. Now the Gospel writers use two different Greek words to refer to Jesus' prayers. Uh, and most of them are the prayers that he gave thanks before meals. The first one is eulogio, which means good words. So Jesus, they would say that Jesus would say good words over the meal. 
Then there's another uh, Greek word, and that word is eucharistio, and the root word found is in eucharistio is charis. And charis means joy or joyful thanksgiving or heartfelt overflowing gratitude. The word Eucharist is often used to describe communion. So what this is saying and what they were describing when Jesus prayed, they were saying that when he prayed, he would pray with great joy. That he would be very excited about praying. And then we have the word Eucharist, which is translated for us, communion. And so the exposition or the understanding of that should be for us that communion should be received with reverential joy. Now, we're going to receive communion at the end of the service. It's the first Sunday of the month. Most of the time we do it on the first Sunday of the month. But I wanted to kind of wait because I knew I was going to touch this in the message. When we receive communion at the end of this message, and I realize that it's sacred, that it's holy, sometimes it's somber, but I think sometimes it's more somber than it needs to be. It should be joyful. Because when we receive communion, we're remembering the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in the midst of all of that, we are remembering all of the pain and all of the sorrow, and then we are remembering the unexplainable joy of His resurrection, the unexplainable joy of His ascension. And so when we receive communion, we should receive it with great thanksgiving. So the, encourage, the, the Scriptures encourage us to give thanks. So why should, when should we be thankful? What does the word say? In Psalms chapter 68, the first scripture that I ask you to go to, Psalm 68, 19 says this, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah. I want to ask you a question. What are you doing with your benefits? The word of God says that he daily loads us with benefits. If God's Word teaches us that He daily loads us with benefits, that word benefit comes from the word benefactor, so that means it comes from someone, someone who gives something to us that adds to us. Something that not only comes to us that adds to us, but something that will actually fit into our life and into our situation. God is not going to give you something you cannot use. So when the Word of God says this, that He daily loads us with benefits, then that means our benefactor, who is God, is in the process of every single day, not just giving us something that can fit into our life for that prescribed period of time for that day, but the Word of God says He loads us up with them. In other words, it, they're full and they're overflowing. We can spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and, and we, we should have just everything that we need from the Lord because every single day He loads us up with benefits. What are you doing with your benefits? What are you doing with the things that the Lord gives you? So then we go on here, and so we find out that when should we be thankful? We should be thankful every day. What should we be thankful for? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me slow down and read it again. Giving thanks always for all things. So what should we be thankful for? We should be thankful for all things. 
Well, what does that mean? That means we should be thankful for dirty dishes. Because it means that we had something to eat. That means we should be thankful for dirty floors because it means we have a roof over our head, right? That means we should be thankful for rowdy kids because it means they're healthy. We should be thankful for age because it means we lived another year. Donna shared with me a quote yesterday, and here it is. She said, I used to wake up and feel like a million bucks. Now I just feel like a bounce check. I said, sometimes I can relate to that until, until I get to going. But we need to be thankful for our age because it means we lived another year. Thank God that we've lived another year. We need to be thankful for our work because it means we get to provide. We have the opportunity to provide for those that we love. Thank God for a job. Some people don't want to get a job because they're just bone lazy. But those of us that like to work, thank God for a job. Can somebody say thank God? Thank you, Lord. We need to thank God for our church because it means that we have a place to connect in Christian community. We have a place to, to, to build relationships and fall in love with our spiritual family. You know, people that come to church and then they quit coming to church, they suffer. What do you mean they suffer? I mean, there's always suffering when there's severance. Right? So they need us. We need each other. I thank God for America. I thank Him for the land of the free, for the home of the brave, for a republic that has a democratic system. I thank God for it. I thank God that we live in a place where we can gather together today and we can worship in spirit and in truth and not have to worry about all of us getting arrested when we walk out the door. It's happening in over 50% of the world today. I thank God that we live in America because the rest, over 51%, about 51% of the world lives on less than $2 a day. I'm thankful to the Lord that I can go home today and eat that chicken gnocchi soup that my mother-in-law's making instead of just a bowl of rice. Now, I know some of you are Puerto Ricans and you love the rice, but I'm telling you, you got to put something in the rice for me to like it. But I thank God for that. I thank the Lord for it. Thank God for faith. Our faith brings us hope. Our faith picks us up. I thank God for faith. The Bible says in Colossians 3 and verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts. To the Lord. So we should be thankful for all things at all times so the Word of God can dwell in our hearts ritually, so the Word of God can teach us and admonish us and encourage us and lift us up, and we can experience the ability of God, the grace of God in our heart for the Lord. We have a lot to be thankful for. I mean a lot, church. We have a lot to be thankful for. Look at your neighbor and say, you have a lot to be thankful for. I know, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that my wife is thankful for me. 
I do, I do. I've got this, so sometimes even after all these years, I wake up and look over at my wife sleeping peacefully beside me and think, man, is she lucky. I'm telling you, I'm, I know. I know my wife is, but I'm thankful for her. I am, I'm thankful for her. Look at your neighbor and say, be thankful for me. And look at your other neighbor and say, I'm thankful for you. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 95, verses, I'm trying not to get in trouble. Psalms 95, verses 1 and 2 says this. Oh, come and let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. We need to be thankful. So that's the first theme. So the first theme and the one that was 12 of the 24 recorded prayers that we have is, is thankfulness and gratitude. So Jesus gave thanks. The second theme that Jesus, we find in his prayers, was the theme of communion, or I like to put, I put it in parentheses, quality time with the Father. Jesus loved spending quality time with God. Years ago, I was reading a book. I think it was called The Cross and the Switchblade. I'm not sure. It was a book that David Wilkerson had written, and it was way back then. The Cross and the Switchblade was kind of a new book back then, so it was back in the 70s. And I was reading this book, and he was telling the story of how the Lord had taken him from a country church and put him downtown New York City and told the story how that he had gotten arrested and all of that, and the next day, because he was on the front page of the paper, now all of a sudden... The Lord had used that to open the door for the Crips and the Bloods and things like that. And so they liked him now because he was one of them because the front page of the paper had him in handcuffs being led away by the police. And so that God used that. God used that. But he was talking there about before he went, he said, I had this place called a trysting place. And he said it was a place where I would go and I would pray and I would just try God. But there was a place... There's a, there's a, God's word says that we're supposed to try him. And so he said that I would go there. He said it was my own personal place and I would go there. And he said I would pray there. I would prophesy there. The power of God would come upon me. And he said I'd go there. And he said I would try what I felt was God. See, God, is this really you? And he said when God spoke to me and said you need to go to New York, he said I, I went to New York. And he said, it looked like when we got there for the first several months that we had made a mistake. But you know the story later on in Times Square. I mean, my goodness, David Wilkerson, he's with the Lord now. But uh, built a, a tremendous ministry, started Teen Challenge and all of that out of the ministry that he had. Well, as a young man reading that book, I thought to myself, this is a practice that I need to put into my life. I need to have a place alone with the Lord. So I found a stump out over the hill behind, because we, we grew up kind of poor, and so we lived in a trailer, and so I'd come home from school, I'd toss my books on the bed, I'd grab my 20-gauge shotgun, I'd head over the, out the back door, over the hill, down into the valley, about halfway up the other side of the hill, and I found this stump. And I found God at that stump. It was my spot, man. It was my trysting place. I would pray until the power of God would come on me and I'd just fall out under the power in the leaves. 
I would. I'd get up on top of that stump when I was about 12, 13, 14 years old, and I'd preach to the trees. I prophesied to the squirrels, the end is coming. Then I would shoot a couple of them, take them home, give them to mama, and we would eat. That's a true story. But I remember, I, I remember times when I would, the stump was about this big around. I remember times when I would literally just in travail because what was happening is God was birthing a ministry. And so I didn't know what was going on. I just knew I loved God. And I just knew that the Holy Spirit was working and praying through me with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so there are times when I would just grab that stump and I remember just hanging on to it for dear life because I was shaken under the power of God. No one around, no one even knew it was going on, but God would meet me there at that stump. Your trysting place. The place where you spend quality time with God can make all the difference in the world to your relationship with the Lord. And Pastor Angelo likes his tents. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. That's not for me. But every now and then he'll say, I feel the tent calling. What that means is I need to get away with the Lord. Jesus did that. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, for 40 days, he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. The Bible said to fast and to pray and to be tempted of the devil. You read it in Luke chapter 4. And then 14 verses later it says, And Jesus returned after the 40 days of fasting and prayer and overcoming the devil, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. So he was led of the Spirit into a place of solitude, and then he returned in the power of the Spirit. The problem with so many young ministers today, and you listen to me, listen to me young ministers, the problem with them is they want the lights without paying the price. Listen, your ministry happens in your prayer closet. What happens in your prayer closet will exemplify, will be exemplified. God will shine the light on it out here. But you can't think, well, I just need a church so I can get up there and bless God. That preacher, he just needs me to preach. Doesn't he know I'm a man of God? He ought to just let me preach. Pray! Get on your face before God. Quit trying to kick down doors. Let God open those doors. You get close to God and God will open those doors. Jesus spent quality time with God. One of the themes of his prayers was communion with God. So he would retire, the Bible said, to the mountains for nighttime to pray. And he would pray many times all night long. Jesus prayed for us. In John chapter 14 and verse number 23, he prayed for us. Here's what he said. He said, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and we will make our abode with him. Let me read it to you out of the message translation. Here's what it says. It says, because a loveless world is a sightless world, if anyone loves me, he will carefully keep my word and my father will love him and will move right into the neighborhood. How many of you want God to move into your neighborhood? How many of you want God to move into your life? 
How many of you want God to be involved in your life? Then you need to spend time with Him. He comes where He feels that He is welcome. We can walk with God like Jesus did, and that kind of relationship is motivated by desire. The Bible said in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24 that Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. What would it be like to just be so close to God that one day you're here and then you're not? You know? Can you, you've, you've heard the commercial. Can you hear me now? It's kind of like, can you see me now? Huh. I'm with God, walking with God. Psalms 42 and verse number 1 says this. As the heart pants after the water, so my soul pants after you, O God. And here's the beautiful thing about that. When we have a desire to be close to God like Jesus did, when we have a desire to be close to God, when we have a desire to have communion with God, then the Holy Spirit will help us be as close to God as we want to be. There are no limits on how close you can be to God. You hear me, church? There are no limits on how close you can be to God. You can be close to God. John 14, 15, and 16, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray to the Father for you, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Jesus knew they were drawing comfort from him, but he knew that as time went on, that they were going to need another comforter that would abide with them Forever. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to be filled with Holy Spirit. That's why we need to allow Him into our heart and into our life because He is the one who comforts us and He's with us forever. And then the third and final theme that I want to talk about today. Number one, we find the themes of Jesus' prayer. Number one, we find out that He gave thanks and that we should also. Number two, we find out that not only did he give thanks, but he spent quality time with the Lord, and he encouraged us to do that. And then the third thing that I want to talk to you about, the third theme is this. Jesus prayed prayers of surrender. He said, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. When I first talked to Michael and Melissa about going to Santa Fe, New Mexico to pastor the Santa Fe Church of God, it was almost an immediate yes. They were so excited they could hardly stand it. I am sure, because I told Donna about three months into it, I told her, I said, we need to be starting praying for Michael and Melissa now. I said, because all of a sudden, they're going to start feeling it. Because after about three to six months, you start saying, whoops, oh Lord, oh my, what? Huh? A Lord, huh? Huh? Because... Because you get these, these ideas, you think, well, praise God, we'll go there and we'll just do this. It's almost like building and they will come. It's not that way anymore. It's not that way anymore. At that point, that's when you start saying, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. Jesus prayed this prayer. He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. We, we know I taught you that, that really means pass through me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus offered himself up. Jesus surrendered to the will of the Father. The cross of Jesus, the cross of Jesus Christ is the most powerful sign of surrender that we see in the life of Jesus. The cross. Think about it. Let me read this scripture to you and then we'll talk about it for a minute. John 10, 17 through 18 says this. Therefore, doth my father love me 
because I lay down my life, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. And then just in case we didn't understand or the disciples didn't understand, he went ahead and explained it further. In verse 18, he said, No man taketh it from me. I lay it down myself. And in case they didn't understand, he went on and he said, I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. The next phrase shows the surrender. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus was commanded by God to go to Calvary and to suffer on the cross. Jesus could have said, well, you don't know my status. What are you doing, you crazy Roman soldier? Don't you know that I'm the only begotten Son of God? Haven't you heard about my ministry? Haven't you been there when I've taught and people were raised from the dead and blind eyes were all... I mean, I mean my goodness, one of my apostles said that, that the world itself couldn't contain the books if we would have written everything that happened through my ministry. Don't you know who you're crucifying? That's the attitude that Jesus could have had and probably the attitude that we may have had. But Jesus was surrendered to a higher power. He was commanded by God to walk the Via Dolorosa, to climb up Calvary's mountain, to let them whip him, put hand, nails in his hands and in his feet, to be crucified. And he told them, he said, I laid my life down. I can take it up again. I have the power to do that. I can lay it down. I can take it up. I don't have to let them do this to me, but I'm going to let them do this to me. You know why? Because I'm commanded to by my Father. That's why Jesus prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. So what does it mean when we talk about being surrendered to God? It doesn't mean that you quit being you. God made you you. He made you who you are. He wants to save your soul, the seat of your mind and your will and your emotions. He wants to be actively involved in your life. But the reason he wants to be actively involved in your life is so he can help you live the life that he designed for you to live. That's why. And so many times... We fight the will of God because we look down the road and we get this image and we say, that's what I want to do and that's what I want to be. But I want to ask you, what's the command of God over your life? When God spoke to us to come here to Florida, it was the last thing in the world that was on my mind. I didn't want to come to Florida. It wasn't anything that I had ever aspired to. I'm kind of more of a mountains guy. You know, I like the Rockies. I, 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 like, I especially like the Ozarks. I grew up there. I love the Ozarks. I grew up about an hour from Branson. I love the Ozarks. When I go home, 
I go to Branson. That's about an hour from where I grew up. I love the mountains. But God said, I want you in Florida. And I told the Lord in that meeting where I was at when the Lord spoke to me, I told the Lord, I said, I'm going to go home and say absolutely nothing to anyone about this and you need to confirm it to my family through my family because I'm married to an only child and you're asking me to move 14 hours away to take the only child and the only grandchildren and move 14 hours away. So God, I'm not going to breathe a word of this. So I go home and within 36 hours, I don't have time to get into it. I will tell you that it was confirmed through Donna first and then it was confirmed through Nikki and Susie and then Jeremiah just kind of went along with the ride. <laughs> Anywhere he was going to get fed at that age, that's where he was going to go. But it's not what we wanted. It wasn't what we aspired to. And you know something? When we got here for the first six months, it was horrible. We had people back at home writing us letters. You missed God. You need to come back home. I said, go back to what? I said, we got rid of everything except that we brought. I said, there's nothing to go back to. We gave the church away. We All that kind of stuff because God said go. I said, we're not doing that. And, and I remember one day, one day, Donna and I told the kids about six months into it. Some of you have heard it, some of you haven't. So those of you that's heard it, just be patient with me. But about six months into it, we've taught our kids, you, you work the word and the word will work. The word will work if you work the word. We've taught them that. So Donna and I decided that we need to go for a ride. And we went down, we were living in South Tampa, and we went down by the water, down by Gandy Bridge, just to find out if, that's, if, if we had missed God or not because it was on our mind. We can't find work, anything like this, and we were getting people screaming at us every day. You missed God. You need to come home. You missed God. You need to come home. We got down there, and all we got from God was, I know where you are. I know what you're going through. I know what you're facing. You didn't miss me. Those that were supposed to help you missed me. So I'll take care of you. We turned around, we got in the car, we went home, we opened the garage, we pulled the car into the garage, and when we were going into the kitchen, we noticed that there were scriptures hanging on the doors. We walked into the kitchen, there were scriptures on the cupboards. We went down the hallway. Those kids, while we were gone, had got on the computer and had printed out every scripture about God will take care of you that they could find. And they put them all over the house. You couldn't sit in the bathroom and do your business without reading. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> bathroom read. <laughs> Lay down in bed. Look up at the wall. Scriptures about God taking care of us. Because we were living the surrendered life. What if Jesus would have said, I can't do this. I know you commanded me, but I can't do this. What if he would have said, I just, I got to check out. This ain't going to work. What if Jesus would have said that? Where would we be? Where would all of us be? I want to tell you, your surrender to the will of God for your life is not just about you. There are people all around you that don't even know they're dependent on you. 
They need you to be true to who God made you, and they need you to be true to the call of God upon your life because your life feeds into their life so their life can feed into other lives. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10 says this, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That means increasing in the knowledge of His will. So the three themes that I wanted to address today in the prayers of Jesus is that Jesus was really big on giving thanks, number one. Number two, Jesus was really, really, really big on spending quality time with the Father. And number three, Jesus was really big on living the surrendered life. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.